Welcome to Right Way Politics. We do politics the right way, the winning way, and we leave the left way behind. And boy, I guess uh, we had a nice little holiday break there, and we came back to some pretty exciting stuff up in the House of Representatives. The Senate was pretty boring and nothing really exciting happening, but we have historical and definitely modern times historical uh, actions with 15 votes needed to get a Speaker of the House for the majority party with a lot of late night drama. And uh, when these votes are roll call votes with 435 or so members having to voice their vote, uh, it's some um, pretty old style politics rather than the looking at the board where everybody just pushes a button on their card. So for people like me who uh, who have a respect for tradition, the roll call votes are something that are, are pretty uh, pretty rare to see in the House. I know the, the Senate does roll call votes a lot, um, but not in the House. So that was pretty interesting. What drove me crazy, and although, you know, I was... One of those people that said, uh, can't Republicans do anything right? And uh, the whole first week of January was a long, long conversation about whether Republicans can even you know, tie their own shoes and can they uh, walk and chew gum at the same time or can they even do one or the other. I think it's pretty interesting um, that at the end of the day, 20 Republicans who opposed Kevin McCarthy to become Speaker of the House held out for a number of concessions, which they were successful in getting. But the one thing you didn't see very much media coverage of is what those concessions were. What were these 20 Republicans fighting for? And I scratched my head. Uh, I have a great deal of respect to former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich, and I was scratching my head when he was opposing the 20 people who were... Uh, fighting for these concessions and taking Kevin McCarthy's side, uh, a lot of these concessions, if you have to actually look at them, are things that uh, when Newt was speaker, this is how things rolled. And I uh, wanted to go through some of these because I finally took a while. Took a while. Yes, it did. But I found a list, finally, of what everyone was fighting over. And I want to go through some of these because a lot of these are the way Congress used to operate not so long ago. And a lot of these are actually pretty common in Virginia at the state legislature level. So the number of these, uh, these bullet points, we'll go through them one by one, but I don't see a whole lot of coverage about what this whole fight was. The one that did get a lot of attention was that they moved back to the single-member power to call for a motion to vacate the speaker's chair. Now, what they don't tell you is, for most of Congress's existence, was the rule, that's how it happened, that's how, that's the rule that people operated under. Any member of Congress could call for a motion to vacate the speaker's chair. Who changed it? Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats. They're the ones that said, wait a minute, <laughs> Pelosi didn't want to get knocked out and have a motion brought to the floor just because one person didn't like her or didn't want her to be speaker. So Nancy Pelosi is the one that made this rule for the Democrats to protect herself. Why the heck are we carrying on Nancy Pelosi's tradition now that she's no longer speaker and no longer in the leadership? Don't know why anybody would have any trouble going back to the way things were back when Republicans ran the show. No problem with a single member 
motion to vacate. One concession, and I kind of like this one too, no McCarthy-aligned super PAC, the Congressional Leadership Fund, uh, can spend money in open Republican primaries and safe seats. If it's a safe Republican seat and it's a primary, no picking winners. Like that rule. I hate the fact that we can put our thumb on the scale in safe Republican seats and encourage people to run and not run um, and have the party pick and choose the winner um, behind closed doors uh, with giant uh, super, fact, super PAC funding. I kind of like the idea that the speaker is going to stay out of these things. If it's a safe Republican district, stay out of it. Kind of like that. House will hold votes on key conservative bills like, hey, Newt Gingrich, what do you hear about these? Sound like a contract with America kind of stuff? A bill on a balanced budget amendment, a bill on a congressional term limit, bill on border security. These are key Republican issues. I don't know why you would have to go to such lengths to get an agreement to have a vote on these core Republican values. We've been fighting for a balanced budget amendment and congressional term limits for as long as I've been in politics, border security, top issue. Don't see why anybody would object to that on the Republican side. Here's a neat idea. Efforts to raise the nation's debt ceiling must be paired with spending cuts. If you're going to continue to increase debt, you must you must pair it with spending cuts. You must cut spending to pay for it. If you're going to raise the credit card limit, you better start paying off expenses. No problem with that. One, no more omnibuses on the budget. Vote on 12 appropriation bills individually using regular order. Newt Gingrich has always fought for this. Instead of putting everything into a giant omnibus that nobody knows what's in it, fully in favor of 12 appropriations bills instead of never-ending continuing resolutions or giant omnibuses. That's a thumbs up. We're halfway through the list, and I really don't see what the problem is was with any of these so-called concessions. This is classic Republicanism. Now, here's the one that's a, a little bit of power stroke. More Freedom Caucus representing on representation on committees, including on the Rules Committee. Well, that's just, uh, you know, we want, we want power, especially uh, power that may, uh, we want power that might not be matched by our seniority, but we want seats. So that's a concession. That's a power play. That's uh, We may not be entitled to these seats by our seniority, but we want them anyway. And McCarthy went along with them and said, yes, yes, you're going to have an influential voice on several committees, including the Rules Committee that controls what bills come to the floor. I understand why the Freedom Caucus wanted it. I understand why the leadership was hesitant. So that's something where there's some give and take. At the end of the day, I don't think it's enough to bring the House to the halt. And uh, between you and me, if the House goes to a halt for a couple of weeks, I don't think the country even noticed. So don't think it was all worth the hullabaloo, but it was fun. But that's a power play, give and take. I'm not really against it, but it's not as principle-laden as the previous things we spoke about. They also want to cap discretionary spending at fiscal year 2022 levels. That is fine with me. If the Republican Party starts knocking down this 
incessant, insane government spending levels. I think that's right in the, their wheelhouse. That's a good thing to fight for. 72 hours to review bills before they come to the floor. None of these. Here's the bill. We're about to vote on it today. Um, totally fine with that, and that is not a new idea. I think 72 hours to review massive legislation before you vote on it is, if you go to parliamentary procedure, uh, that is basically the rule that Robert's Rules and most parliamentary and uh, legislative uh, places with the rules for reading of the bills, that's what that whole point is, is to give people time to review legislation before they vote on it. And I think that's an easy concession. That should be what we're about as a party. Open amendment process to bills in the House floor. Another thing Republicans should be for. Create an investigative committee to probe the weaponization of the federal government. I'm all for investigative committees uh, that look at the role of the federal government and whether it's being utilized in a Nixonian way. That's fine with me. And restore the Holman rule, which can be used to reduce the salary of government officials. Don't know a whole lot about that, but the power of the purse relies with the Congress. And I think that's a conversation with the executive branch that can be had without a whole lot of screaming and yelling. But if you go through these, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven concessions that were made that drug us through a week and 15 votes before the Republicans finally agreed on a Speaker of the House. I think if the media actually educated and promoted and basically did their job and told the American people, here is what the problem is between 90% of the Republican caucus and the 20 members who were holding up the speakership vote, this is what they fought for and this is what they got. I think a whole lot of people would look at this and say, I don't see a problem with any of these. At the very least, we can have an argument about executive salaries. We can have an argument about committee appointments. But on the policy issues that are here, I think these are worthy of being in a Republican pledge. These are contract with America level items that don't see why anybody would have been scratching their heads at the efforts to do any of these things. And I don't know why McCarthy wouldn't have just nodded yes to all of these. Because if we go back to Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich, or we go back uh, even more recent with John Boehner, these are the ways Republicans say government should be run. And I don't see a problem with it. And I want to smack my buddy <laughs> that I'd met this uh, past election season, Newt Gingrich. If he looked at what these concessions were and looked how he operated the House in the 90s, he should recognize a lot of these. This is a return to Republicanism when conservatism was winning elections across the country because we fought for fiscal conservatism and the role of government and focusing on the individual and freeing them from government tyranny over taxation and the national debt, which is at this time so much higher than it was. We're near $31 trillion, we're over $31 trillion, about $31.5 trillion of the national debt. I don't see why we can't get back to policies that get government spending back under control. And I think if, uh, if Newt looks back on this, 
I think instead of saying, why are these 20 Republicans holding up the works? I think he would have said, why would Kevin McCarthy or any Republican oppose any of these? And the rules passed rather quickly. A lot of Democrats and a lot of the press, I repeat myself, but a lot of Democrats and the media were saying that the rules was going to be, the rules vote was going to be a big, big fight. And this is going to be a sign that Republicans have big difference of opinion in their rank and file. And uh, the rules passed pretty simply. Uh, and the Democrats stopped talking about it. And so did the press. And uh, it became yesterday's news rather quickly. You know, if the rules package didn't pass, it would be front page uh, top of the fold, on TV, every hour, on the hour, news. But since Republicans actually passed their rules with unanimous support, the media wasn't interested. So that's the way we go. Uh, that's the way Congress is going in Virginia. The General Assembly is starting tomorrow. There are three special elections going on as we record this podcast. Two in the House of Delegates and one in the State Senate. We'll look at those in the next podcast. We're not going to wait for another week. I think we'll do another one fairly quickly for this because we want to look at these special elections and the General Assembly focusing on Virginia. But for now, Congress has a speaker, Republicans have rules, and now we have a platform. Thanks to these 20 people who held up the works, we have a platform that we can fight for and send to the Senate and have them, have the Democrats actually pose fiscal responsibility. As they always have in the past, they'll oppose it in the future. They don't know how a $31 trillion debt is anything that they can be proud of. But now with these policies, the Democrats will own that debt and own the deficit spending and own government that is too big to succeed. And, uh, oh, I would just want to laugh at this one. Today's laugh. I always get a giggle when a Democrat acts like an idiot. Losing congressional representative from the 2nd District of Virginia, which is where we originate, Elaine Luria, now that she uh, lost an election and is off to find a job, she's become a fellow at Georgetown University. After spending a year attacking Republicans and running horrible ads and lying about her eventual successor and victor, Jen Kiggins, who is in Congress now, after Luria lied and attacked and ran so many negative ads that you couldn't go five seconds without seeing one, she is going to lead a discussion on bipartisanship. Somebody's actually paying her to lead a discussion on bipartisanship. Sorry, just because you may be more bipartisan than Nancy Pelosi doesn't make you an expert in bipartisanship. I don't know how a university, this tells you the state of American universities today, when you want to talk about bipartisanship, who do you pay to lead the discussion? Liberal Elaine Loria. She's going to instruct us all how to be more bipartisan. Yeah, here's the, I'll tell you in one second. You don't have to make me a fellow. I'll tell you how Democrats are bipartisan. Democrats define bipartisanship by Republicans agreeing with Democrats. That's their definition of bipartisanship. It always is. It always will be. They're not interested in bipartisanship. They're interested in ruling. That is it. And it becomes bipartisan when Democrats do what they want to do and Republicans vote for it. 
That's it for this podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time, and we hope you find your way back to right-way politics.